Hello and welcome to the Culture Swally, a podcast dedicated to Scottish news and culture. My name is Nicky and I'm joined, as always, by the man who, if I had access to a bank of CCTV cameras, I'd be following him about like William Baldwin's character in Sliver. It's Greg. How are you today, Greg? I'm very well. I'm back in the Disneyland of the desert, as I think you described it as once, after my uh, three weeks in um, back in God's country, or uh, Cumbernauld, as it sometimes referred to. How are you getting on? And how are you enjoying it? How are you finding uh, being back? You enjoying being back in, uh, well, not being in Scotland at the moment? <laughs> well, yeah. With, with petrol shortages and everything going well, on. Well, like, yeah, like we were saying just before um, we started recording, it's, um, it's, pretty, uh, it's pretty grim at home at the moment warnings of tough winters and fuel hikes and all sorts of stuff but uh but no yeah it's okay being back in dubai i, I did enjoy um i think that's one of the longest maybe the i think it's probably the longest like sort of constant amount of time i've spent at home in one go since um i emigrated uh, to the middle east um, over six years ago three weeks it's the first time I've been home in almost two years because of the pandemic and all that sort of stuff. So, so yeah, you fall back into it quite easily, as I'm sure you know. Now, the question is, and the question that I think everyone wants to know is, did you manage to get any Minger cheese? <laughs> No, I didn't. Um, I didn't get the opportunity to go to Aldi, and I actually forgot all about it until I was listening back to our last podcast on the flight home um, last Thursday, and then I was I was kicking myself because uh, I really want it would have been a good little point to be able to bring up um, this episode for all the people that were waiting on the edge of their seats with anticipation to see what I thought of Minger cheese. <laughs> well, never mind. Well, we'll put it out to you, listeners, if anyone in Scotland has been to Aldi and has sampled Minger cheese, please let us know what it's like because we can't taste it ourselves. And unfortunately, because you're no longer part of the EU, you can't send any to me or anything. So yeah, I don't know what we're going to do there. Oh, well, never mind. I was looking forward to a little review, but hey, can't be helped. I did find something uh, that will make you laugh. Well, a couple of things. Like The, the first thing was there hadn't, there hadn't been in Glasgow City Centre for a long time. And I one day I had to get the train back out to Cumbernauld and I was walking up past the Glasgow uh, Gallery of Modern Art, uh, where the statue of Wellington mm. is that always has the traffic cone in mm-hmm. his head. And um, in Exchange Square, there was like a group of young guys standing outside this burger shop. And I was aware of this mm. guy on a kind of mountain bike doing, it was one of these guys that sort of bunny hops up and down stairs and does wheelies and things. And so I, I sort of walked past him and he, he's, as I've walked past him, he's tried to hop up the three steps onto the, where the, the plinth that Wellington sits on is. And I didn't see, but I heard that he they totally wiped out <laughs> and I, the unmistakable sound of bike frame uh, connecting with the concrete and stuff. So b- before I've had the chance to react the guys over by the burger shop just let out with a massive cheer <laughs> yeah! so, so i've turned i mean I, I turned with the intention of going and helping the guy but he was back up on his feet before i you know before i got anywhere near him but <laughs> after the initial cheer one of the guys shouted over oh are you all right mate <laughs> <laughs> see but take the piss but then you know slightly bit, bit of concern checking that the guy's okay that's yeah. you know, you only get that in Glasgow you wouldn't get that in you wouldn't get that no friendliest city in the world um, but the, the other thing that I found that, that, you, that you might get a laugh at is, so we've we've discussed uh, for various different reasons we've kind of found our way to discussions about uh, the old pornographic magazines or uh, jazz mags as um, 
as we sometimes refer to them as. And uh, I was at home to kind of clear out my dad's house because he can't, he's moving out of my stepmom because of his health. And I knew that a couple of such magazines might be secreted somewhere around the house. So I found, and they were in his room. And I found one, well, I found three actually, but the one that I want to tell you about is a really, really old issue of Fiesta. I'll tell you how old it was. Like the, the two clues, there was no date on it, but the price was £1.50 and there was an advert for an Amstrad VHS player on the back. So that gives you, wow. That gives you some indication as to the age of this magazine. So, you know, I'm not just going to chuck it in the bin. I'll have a wee flick through it um, before I throw it out. So there's all the usual stuff. Um, pictures of... Uh, women in various states of undress um, and then there's a page that said something for the ladies and it's photographs of like three or four naked guys but they weren't like oh. you know like you might if you, you might expect on a page like that Nikki to see guys who look like you and I like sort of handsome well-built sort of male model types but these were just like they were just like regular sort of early to mid 1980s like dads <laughs> do you know what I mean they all, they all looked a wee bit like they all looked a wee bit like Peter Sutcliffe. Like there was no, um, <laughs> there was no like shaved, uh, shaved chests or like muscle definition of anything. Just like your da standing there with his cock out, <laughs> getting, his, getting his photo taken. You know what I mean? Just, you've got to wonder what goes through someone's head. Like if they've bought an issue of Fiesta and then they're skimming through it and they've thought, oh, there's a, a page devoted to the ladies. I'm going to send my photo in, and off they go. Or is it a couple have bought that magazine together and are flicking through it and went, oh, look, here's something for the ladies. You can have a look at that page. And then the wife has said, you should send your photos in to that. Yeah. I, I wonder what the thought process behind that was. I know, was. but like, they're just, they're not even, these guys weren't even sort of posing. They were just sort of standing. I'm, I'm pretty sure one of them had a, was like smoking a fag at the same time. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's, he's just come out of the shower. He's away to go and get his clothes and his wife's like, oh, wait a minute, just before you go and get dressed, let's take a wee picture for Fiesta. <laughs> Fire it in just after the reader's wife's pages. It was just a different time, you know what I mean? It's just, it's a sort of disturbing insight into the, the sort of, what's the word, vo- kind of voyeurism of uh, our kind of parents' generation, I guess. What would you do at that time? I, I, I'm not asking, you know, I'm not actually asking you what you would do at that time, but if you were to do that, do you just send the film in or do you have to go to Boots <laughs> and get that developed and then just send the, the photograph in to the magazine? That's a, never thought about that before. <laughs> yeah, because the thing is, there, there was all, I mean, those pages were just after the classic Reader's Waves pages. Do you know what I mean? Which was, you know, which was a bit of a, an experience in itself, but for different reasons, looking through those pages. But uh, I don't know. I mean, that's a good point. You know, whether it's a picture of your wife uh, posing seductively on the Freeman's catalogue bedsheets or, uh, or a picture of like the husband just like having a cup of tea next to the chest of drawers and he's in the buff. I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe they all had like little dark rooms made up in their sheds at the bottom of the garden or something like that. Well, there was definitely a business for that back in the yeah. day. We should have uh, thought about that I mean, back Maybe, we, you know, if you were somebody who sent photographs of yourself into Fiesta, whether you were a reader's <laughs> wife or you were something for the ladies, why don't you write in and tell us what you did, whether you got the picture developed down at Super Snaps or you, um, or you just sent the film in to Paul Whitehouse. Is it Paul Whitehouse? What was the, what's the publisher called? The famous porn publisher? It's not Paul Whitehouse, is it? Um, I have no idea. <laughs> was it Paul Raymond? Paul Raymond, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be interested to know. I mean, that could be a spin-off podcast in its own. 
I'll have to hear from you. God, I feel bad. I, I feel I've, I've set us off in a dark tone by mentioning Sliver at the start of the episode, and that it's just led us into talking about absolute smut. I think we should uh, definitely clean things okay. up and have a look at the news. Cue the jingle. <laughs> This is the Outer Hebrides Broadcasting Corporation, and here is what's been going on in the news. Okay, Greg, apart from 80s porn, is there anything that you saw in Scotland or have seen in the news for the last few days that has caught your eye? Well, my first story comes from the January 1981 issue of Shaven Ravers. <laughs> it doesn't really, I'm only joking. No, my first one comes actually from the Daily Record. I can't see the date on it, but the headline is Scott's mum in stitches after Siri Blunder gives son X-rated response when he asks for pictures of Tesco. Um, five-year-old Oh, Jesus. Who, asks, who, who looks up pictures of Tesco? Five-year-old Shawnee McEwen was asking the Apple virtual assistant for help in showing him some pictures of the supermarket Tesco. So basically, Shawnee, he was, his dad Andy, 38, was going to take him to the supermarket to spend his pocket money. Lucky Shawnee. But his mum, mm-hmm. Nicole, 35, was left red-faced when Siri misunderstood the younger's request and instead of bringing up pictures of Tesco, it showed him pictures of testicles. Oh, wow. There is a video... On the Daily Record website, that you know, they she filmed it. Uh, after realizing what was happening, Nicole said she bounced out of bed to get the iPad off Shawnee, but realizing the primary two pupil had no clue what Siri was talking about, she decided to film it and share the hilarious moment with her friends and family. Speaking to the Daily Record, Nicole said Shawnee was going to Tesco with his dad to get a magazine with his money. Anytime he goes anywhere, he always wants to see a picture of where he's going, and that's why he asked Siri to show him pictures of Tesco. But Nicole said the hilarity started because Shawnee mispronounces the name of the supermarket giant, saying Tesco rather than Tesco. She added, he has said it that way since he was two, and I've always thought it was cute. I had never heard it sounding like testicles until Siri said it. In this funny clip shared on social media, uh, Shawnee says, show me a picture of Tesco, and Siri replies, here are some images of testicles from the web. (laughs) Dad Andy then asks, Show me a picture of Tesco. And Siri replies, Here are some pictures of Tesco from the web. Before Andy hands the iPad back to Shawnee, who again asks for pictures of testicles, and Siri responds again with, Here are some pictures of testicles from the web. Nicole shared the hilarious exchange in a short clip on her Facebook page, which quickly gathered hundreds of views and comments from her friends and family. One said, Oh no, I'm actually crying with laughter. Another added, Please warn his teachers before Andy gets to jail for taking him to Tesco's. Uh, I'm actually <laughs> greeting. This is hilarious, said another. So yeah, we'll put the link on. Uh, we'll put the link on the website or maybe even on Instagram. And if you want to see the hilarious moment when a wee boy mistakes supermarket giant for his dad's boss, um, you can enjoy it at your leisure. Now, it's it's not really bad. I've just googled testicles. <laughs> I've taken one for the team. <laughs> And as you would expect, it's just drawings of testicles, you know, medical drawings, or there was a news article about a man who has 10 stone testicles. There's a, a little image there, but they're covered up. 10 stone There's nothing testicles. bad. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's the- it's a man with 10, 10 stone testicles, and he's looking very unhappy with himself. <laughs> Fucking shit um, is. <laughs> There's, there's nothing, I mean, first of all, her son has testicles, so it's not like he's, it's, you know, Siri said showing pictures of big tits or up-close lady parts. <laughs> it's it's something that he has, and I'm sure he's seen his dad's boss, and he would have just seen them and probably thought, oh yeah, I've got 
that. I don't know. Maybe not this stock image of a, a bull's testicles, <laughs> but uh, there's nothing bad about it. I mean, it, Google's not going to throw up hardcore pornography on the uh, on the image search, so I don't think there was anything hugely. She didn't have to jump out of bed and grab the iPad off him. I don't ever remember. I remember like when I was before I started school. You know, like it, you know, like it was your testicles were never really referred to. Your wee man might be referred to. You put it in the toilet. Did you did yeah. you clean your wee man? Blah blah blah. I, I don't remember really becoming aware of uh, testicles until I got to school and like people were trying to kick each other in the balls. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I was like, what does that mean? And then I guess obviously I must have worked it out at some point. A bit of self exploration. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't think I'm not sure I knew what testicles were when I was five. No, probably me neither. Obviously, if you'd uh, had access to your dad's copies of Fiesta at the time, then you might have seen some <laughs> on the, one of your local neighbours' yeah. testicles in on, it. The, on the For the Ladies page. <laughs> yeah, so that's my first story. Um, out of the mouths of babes and all that. Uh, the different types of babes to the ones that you get in Fiesta, obviously. What's, what's yeah. your first story this week? Oh, my first story is about Come Dine With Me last week. It was in Glasgow. I don't know so if, I, if you were I, aware I, I of that. I did see bits and, of it, yeah. Ah, okay. Um, so I did watch one episode in particular because it was Daz from Does It Fry that was on it. Are you familiar with Does It Fry? Is this the guy that just tries to see if things can be fried? It's exactly what he does, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So he has a very successful YouTube channel, so he will deep fry stuff, including like a Big Mac or I think a block of cheese. I think he deep fried like a a Boots meal deal sandwich, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, he'll deep fry Greg's. I think he deep fried Blackpool Rock and stuff. So he just covers it in batter, deep fries it in his kitchen, <laughs> and has a bite of it, okay. and films it all, puts it on YouTube. It is very good. So he was appearing on Come Dine With Me <laughs> this week. So uh, as you'd expect, his, his menu, I, I can read through his menu okay. uh, for you. So uh, the guests were less than impressed. I'm not going to read a full news article on this one because I've watched it actually happen. So I I can pretty much tell you what it is. So for uh, for his starter, Darren served deep fried chicken nuggets and caviar. So he went and he did say he spent sixty pounds on this caviar, <laughs> and he made the chicken nuggets himself, homemade. Uh, uh, deep fried them in crispy batter. Uh, with the deep fried caviar. Uh, let's just say the guests were were less than delighted <laughs> with this. For his main course, he served deep fried lasagna. He went to the effort of making a lasagna from scratch. I mean, if you're making a lasagna for five people, you usually need more than one packet of mince, one carrot, one onion, <laughs> and one tin of tomatoes. Yeah. But that was all he had. But as he said when he was cooking it, it's fine because I'm going to be covering it in batter anyway, so they'll get more with the batter. He served this on one single lettuce leaf, which he also <laughs> deep fried, but he didn't cover it in batter. He just put it in the oil, <laughs> took out this soaking wet lettuce leaf, put it on the plate and then put this chunk of lasagna on top. And then, uh, as you can imagine, for his dessert, he served uh, a deep fried Mars bar right. uh, with some ice cream, which he didn't deep fry. I think he missed a trick not mm. deep frying the ice cream yeah. because that is obviously a delicacy as it well. The, the guests were pretty horrified by <laughs> this and and well a couple of them actually found it funny right. and you know they were like i can't eat this this is disgusting <laughs> you know one did say i really would have preferred it if you hadn't deep fried this <laughs> there was one woman that was quite outraged saying this is just a joke you can't do this um and, and you know i think she did say at the end that she ended up getting a chinese afterwards like she hardly ate any of it of course what do you do in this situation if you don't come down with me do you just make sure the alcohol is flowing yeah 
and you get your guests pissed, yeah. so they give you a good score. Yeah, Daz didn't serve any alcohol <laughs> at all. He only served iron brew in champagne flutes. <laughs> so the guests drank iron brew out of champagne flutes all evening and had their, their deep fried menu. <laughs> so um, unfortunately, it wasn't plain sailing for Daz. I think he ended up with 14 points overall. Right. Um, one of his one of his guys did actually spat the starter out into his napkin and says it's just really salty and really chewy. Darren spoke of his experience to the Daily Record, so I can give his quote. And he said, uh, yeah, when they had the first dish of chicken nuggets and caviar, their faces kind of dropped. I think they knew from that point that they weren't eating good food that night. (laughs) The lasagna kind of worked, but unfortunately, the kitchen roll stuck to the bottom lost me some points. (laughs) (laughs) And that was true, because he did obviously pad it dry with kitchen roll, but yeah, there was still chunks of kitchen roll uh, there. And he said, yeah, my ice cream scoop broke, so serving up the ice cream was an absolute nightmare. Um, I also completely underestimated how much ingredients I'd need for five people, so I only brought one carrot for them all. But uh, regardless of the score, Darren said that he had a great time. I loved every second of it. I went there to have a laugh. I walked away laughing. I kind of complain. And he was very true when he, even in his opening like interview, he did say, I'm your worst nightmare to be on this because I do not care about winning. I'm just here to have a laugh. And he certainly did. <laughs> In terms of deep frying everything and probably to get exposure for his YouTube channel yeah, as well. Yeah. So I'd imagine a few people have been watching his videos since his appearance on that and been enjoying seeing him frying various things. I think it, uh, there was a couple of things like this kind of broke out during the start of lockdown because there's the the other gl- Scottish guy who does the wraps. I don't know if you've seen them in terms of he takes anything. like He'll take like a whole Chinese and put it in a wrap and like put it on his George Foreman right. and then he cuts it in half and shows it to the camera and then takes a bite. Like he'll do stuff, you know, like putting a, a fish and chip supper in a wrap and with curry sauce or something, yeah. grilling it for five minutes. Then it's... It's fascinating viewing because you are kind of watching it thinking, oh, I wonder if this is going to work. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so I say, I have watched a few of Daz's videos before and you are thinking, you're a nutter, you're deep frying a Big Mac. And then when he bites into it, he's like, oh, it's delicious. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to watch. I mean, I am aware of it. I don't think I've ever seen any of his videos. I'm not sure how I'm aware of it. I am quite intrigued, though, as to how he managed to deep fry caviar because they're tiny wee balls. Mm. So they're just like tiny, tiny wee deep fried <laughs> balls of caviar. <laughs> going back to the testicles again <laughs> I'm not sure I didn't pay a huge amount of attention I think he maybe did like clump them together right. it was maybe a spoonful of caviar because it was from a jar okay. the little tin so he maybe just had like a spoonful and maybe dunked it in the batter and then you know I mean, it's a hell of a waste he says he spent 60 quid on the caviar yeah. but no one ate it nobody really ate it yeah. no because that was the one guy he had like a bit of the chicken nugget and he's like I can't really eat this and dad's like have the caviar and he did and then that's when he had to spin it into his napkin <laughs> So, so never mind. Uh, that was his uh, attempt on come down with me. Okay, so, all the best, Daz. Yeah, good on you. So, uh, what else have you seen this week, Greg? Okay, well, my next one is, it's along the same lines as some other stories that we've had on the Swally about uh, perhaps mis... I don't know, maybe not misjudged tattoos, but like somewhat unusual tattoos. So off the top of my head, we've had the girl <laughs> that got Greg's the Baker tattooed on her hip mm-hmm. or her arse, can't quite remember. Mm-hmm. We had the guy who got the social tattooed on his chest, but it was a wrong logo or something. He was hoping that it would get him free entry for the social in exchange for That's right, yeah. Stories. Well, yeah. I don't know how familiar you are with the Scottish company Megabus. I know you've not lived in Scotland for a oh, long yeah. 
long yeah. time for our overseas listeners Megabus is it's a sort of cheap bus service uh, I suppose it runs from Scotland you can get the bus from like Glasgow or Edinburgh or Aberdeen all the way to London it's pretty cheap it costs about 10 or 15 quid um, I've never done it but apparently the buses are reasonable you know quite comfortable and whatnot. so the headline comes from the Scottish Sun on the 24th of September and it says fair play uh, Scott's Megabus fan gets the coach company's logo tattooed in his arm Isaac Gray reckons he's the only person in the world daft enough to get the unique artwork of the chubby driver drawn on him I don't think anybody's wow. game is going to contest that picture of Isaac here he's got he's had the logo tattooed on the kind of the kind of the kind of bottom of his bicep it, the sort of like the kind of here it, I don't know I've shown you this and I'm fucking I'm showing Nicky where it is um, on the back of his arm great podcasting yeah on the back of his on the back of his upper arm the tattooist has not stayed in the lines when he's been colouring the mm-hmm. tattoo in. He said that uh, Isaac apparently dreamt up the inky tribute as a joke in a way that might win him some free bus travel. Mm. And he's obviously hasn't read the article about the guy who tried it at the social. Isaac from Dundee said, Most folk I've shown it to think it's a bit loopy, but I've been on so many megabuses going to and from gigs that it seemed like a really good idea. It's a bit of fun, and I absolutely love showing it off to people and seeing what the reaction is. No one can quite believe I got it done. Tattoos should all be serious. He splashed out £160 on the tattoo and he sought out a particular artist in Aberdeen because he liked her style. It took about three hours, but Isaac had only one big request when it came to transferring the fat driver from a coach to his body. He explained, I wanted him to look a bit less creepy than he does in the side of the bus. I think that's your free bus travel humped now, Isaac. His eyes and mouth are a bit shady in the original. I wanted my one to look a bit more happy and welcoming. Tesco Tesco worker Tesco worker Isaac grew up in Huntley Aberdeenshire and was born a girl he came out as trans when he was 14 and became a target for bullies his only escape was going to rock gigs in bigger towns and cities than the cheap megabus where tickets start as low as a pound made that happen he said when I was getting on the megabus and going to see a band I was living in the weeks leading up to that I was just surviving I had all sorts of horrible things said and done to me it was pretty rough the megabus was my escape so it made sense to get the tattoo it's really a symbol of me getting out there and making a brand new life for myself. After two years of talking about the artwork, Isaac and his non-binary sibling Han, who's 18, got matching tattoos a few weeks ago. Isaac had not had the nerve to show it to a driver yet, but he's hoping it might open up a brand new world of bus travel. He's, he joked, they might treat us like VIPs, but I very much doubt it. The first time we were on a bus since getting the tattoos, it broke down and we were late for the gig, but that's part of the adventure. We'll always love the Megabus. Uh, astonished bosses at the bus firm coughed up free travel for Isaac to applaud his devotion or so it worked. Oh wow. Megabus managing director Mark Venable said wow I'd be amazed if any other mega fans can beat that. We'd love to see such levels of dedication and we'd be happy to offer Isaac a free a free return journey on one of our services to any of our destinations in the UK. He definitely deserves it. So he's, he's getting one free trip. Our passion is keeping people connect through great value travel and we're hoping to hear that Isaac enjoys his journeys. No, sorry we're pleased to hear that Isaac enjoys his journeys on the Megabus so much. I hope to see him board a Megabus soon so I can see his tattoo in the flesh. So there you go. Now, I wonder if he went to the same tattoo artist that our mutual friend goes to in Aberdeen for all his illustrations. Yeah, possibly. I mean, it's a very colourful tattoo, that's for sure. Mm. So it's just below the bicep. So if he's flexing his muscles, does that mean that the Megabus driver does the truffle shuffle? <laughs> he starts to look a bit like Benny Hill, I think. When he... <laughs> <laughs> 
reflexes his muscles. I mean, I can see if it brings back good memories of, of something and, and as he says, when he was going to gigs and stuff mm-hmm. and, you know, I've got some some great memories of, of going to gigs and going places, but I'm, you know, I'm not going to get a, a tattoo a tattoo of the, I mean, I don't even know, I can't even think of what bus I would have got to, but, you know, first bus Aberdeen tattoo on me or something. The or bluebird. Um, yeah, I think it's a, it's a strange one, but, you know, people get strange tattoos all the time, you know, we've got Greg's, we had the guy a couple of weeks ago that had the uh, rolling square Absolutely, yeah, in, his, uh, in his thigh mm-hmm. to cover up an ex-girlfriend's name, but it, it, it's interesting, it's definitely a conversation starter, that's for sure, whereas the other tattoos that we've we've kind of covered on the Swally have been on the, like, the inner thigh, or on the arse, or on the chest, whereas this is actually on his arm, yeah. so you're going to think it's going to be on display, so it's definitely a, a conversation starter. I suppose if he gets fed up and it, it doesn't come to fruition, you know, if he gets pissed off and or he has bad service on Megabus in future, he could always just colour it in and then he's got the, the fat controller from Thomas the Tank yeah, Engine. He or he could get like a like a full Scottish breakfast a full Scottish breakfast tattooed over his, his arm <laughs> to cover like his failed relationship with the Megabus people. That's the it's the natural thing, isn't it, when you're thinking of a cover up, you think I'm thinking breakfast. Yeah, so hmm. well, that's uh, Oh well sold Isaac from uh, originally from Huntley, now residing in Dundee. Uh, which which your next story this week? Well, my next story is something that's kind of pretty obvious to us, but I wonder if it is obvious to other people, our, our international listeners mm-hmm. around the world. And we do say this word, we don't say it a lot on the Swally, but we do say it a fair bit, I would think. And you never realise if it does offend people, but uh, this latest study, this is from the Scottish Sun on the 23rd this week, Scots TV viewers don't find the C word offensive and think it can be used as a term of endearment. Now, I've often said this, that we, Scottish, we use swearing as punctuation and, and, you know, as a term of endearment. So this was a a study for the official broadcasting watchdog Ofcom, and they found that Scottish people are more relaxed about hearing the strongest swear word on your screens. Uh, However, they recognise that although it is, it can be an affectionate or endearing term, they still think it's quite offensive and should only be used after the 9pm watershed. (laughs) I'm glad to hear that we're not going to be seeing it on CR. ITV or anything anytime soon. I'd love that if on the chase, Bradley Walsh, oh, you stupid cunt. That's, uh, yeah, not going to do that. So yeah, they, they studied 600 people and asked them which swear words that they thought created dramatic impact or brought humour and reflected real life. Uh, one man in his 50s said, uh, and he's from Scotland, he said, uh, yeah, uh, the C word is probably the strongest in society and, and it's become developed to be a strong word. But in my day, it could be used as everyday language, you know, and, and not used offensively. You can be a clever cunt. <laughs> and I don't think, you know, where we live, it's seen as serious. So they did ask more people about this and, and they've decided that the C word is viewed as, as I say, the strongest swear word, but people have mixed views about it. So yeah, so for example, they felt that cunt could be used in reflecting reality or when trying to portray strong negative emotion, particularly in programmes where such language would be expected. River City, for example. <laughs> yeah, I, I think there is a time and place. So, and, and even last year, the, the BBFC uh, gave a stand-up show by Billy Conley a 15 certificate after ruling that his use of cunt 
and I'd imagine he'd used it quite a lot, was not aggressive and it was part of his trademark style. So they are developing that concept that I, th- I think it's very much if it's used in an aggressive manner that people have a bit of a wor- you know, worry about it. Yeah. And they found the performance, which was released in cinemas, featured very frequent, very strong language, oh, including 10 uses of the C word, <laughs> but said it didn't merit an 18 certificate. Uh, they said that Conley's swearing was not aimed at anyone and audiences would be very familiar with his style. Yeah, effectively, we love the C word and we don't find it offensive. So that's not really a news story, is it? You know, everyone kind of knew that as well. It was, it was quite funny when I was at home, they, you know, my father say, well, he's not anymore, but he, he was in the hospital, which is one of the reasons I was I was back in Scotland. And um, I would never have described my father as a particularly sweary person. You know, if it's just if it's just us boys, he might be a bit swearier. But polite society, and certainly around the ladies, he keeps it clean. But you know, he's, he was in quite a lot of pain last week, and was on quite strong uh, pain meds. And my uh, stepmother is not a fan of swearing, and perhaps hates the c word more than any other word. And uh, because my dad last week was you know a wee bit groggy with the painkillers, and he was talking to me, and there was a guy in the room across from my dad's who I think. Was a bit do lally, and we could, you know, he could he he couldn't get up, he couldn't get up and out of bed himself and stuff. He needed assistance, and he was like shouting and swearing at the nurses. Apparently, I never heard him. I heard him shouting a bit. I never heard him shouting at the staff. And my dad, had, my dad was telling me how, you know, especially at night, this guy really shouting and bawling and shouting and swearing at the nurses. But he's he's not describing it as I'm describing it. He's like, and that fucking cunt across there. And my step, I was like, Gordon, can you stop swearing so much? <laughs> ah, sorry, sorry. I tell you, oh cunt at night shouting at the nurses. You know, it's just, he would immediately apologise and then completely forget, I think, who his audience was. I was like, yeah, maybe just uh, rein it in a bit there. It's probably just at the end of his tether with it all, so it's just all coming out, unfortunately. No, there was other there was other things he was talking about where he was just letting his C-word flag fly uh, quite easily. Oh, well. No, but yeah. I think we, we had, to, on the Angel Share episode, there was a big thing about the BBFC and the word cunt, remember? I think and, uh, Ken, Lo- mm. Ken Loach of Nuneaton in the Midlands is a fierce defender of our right to use the word in contact in, uh, in the correct context. So Yeah, I think it was, um, it was Sweet 16, I think. There was a, yeah, a bit of an outrage about that yeah, yeah. in terms of the, the level of swearing. And it was, as you say, Ken Loach had said, it's just the, the way that people talk yeah. from that area and that age group. Yeah. So it shouldn't really be deemed as a offensive it is just the the way we talk mm-hmm. so yeah don't know anyway as i say it's not a massive news story but news nonetheless. news nonetheless um well i've got one more very quick story um i'll run through it as quickly as i can um again it comes from the scottish sun uh the 25th of september this one uh, the headline is what's the catch glasgow magnet fishers which i'd never heard of magnet fishers before um, i read this article glasgow magnet fishers find a black bag full of mobile phones and a book with a list of names in the river clyde it's on tiktok under <laughs> Glasgow underscore magnet underscore fishing uh, if you want to go and check it out. The video shared on the group's TikTok channel showed them uncovering a bag at Dalmarnock Bridge before emptying it to find various phones and an address book. In the video, a member of the group appears to be pulling something up in a rope before unveiling a black bag containing eight different mobiles which appear to have been damaged hmm. by the water. The group appear to be fishing from the A749 also known as Dalmarnock Bridge in Rutherglen. The video, which was uploaded on Monday has racked up thousands of views online and garnered much attention from people sharing their theories on the discovery. One viewer commented, tell me you found a dealer without telling me you found a dealer. Another commented, <laughs> another commented, I know a few people from Dalmarnock who will be freaking out at this video. And after being bombarded 
with various comments asking what they did with the find. The fisherman confirmed that they put the phones in the book back into the water. <laughs> Anybody thinking of trying magnet fishing, just be warned the Ministry of Defence have warned against the dangers of the practice, saying in September 2018 that army bomb disposal teams were regularly called out due to strange finds. Members of the Glasgow oh, wow. members of the Glasgow Magnet Fishing Group have previously hit the headlines for finding an unexploded grenade. <laughs> That river collide. <laughs> <laughs> a gun was also recovered by the group from the, from the same location, Dumarnock Bridge, back in December 2020. So just uh, if you are magnet fishing, maybe see what you've got before you whack it on social media, and don't tell anybody where you live. So we're presuming it's a yeah a drug dealer or a, a hitman or someone who has a lot of phones and doesn't want to have them falling into the wrong hands. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure the police are probably quite interested in having a look at those phones and seeing what, if any, mm. data can be pulled off them. But uh, the magnet guys have chucked them back in the River Clyde, so if the police got them, want them, they'll have to get their frogmen out. <laughs> I'm sure they won't have any trouble with that. <laughs> Do you remember the story we had? That they, I think my favourite Swally story we've, we've ever had is your one that you found about the guy finding the safe full of uh, condoms yeah. and, por- and pornography and, and then <laughs> leaf River in Edinburgh. That was a belter. There you go. That's just what your dad needed. He needed a safe <laughs> to keep his porn in and he would have been sorted. <laughs> in, my da- in my dad's defence, you know, he had completely forgotten that he had them, which is plausible considering yeah. how old they obviously were. Do you know what I mean? Oh, uh, the last thing I've got, um, I've, it's literally just come up since I've been recording and it's the um, there's been a sign put up in a car park in the West Highlands. <clears throat> um, it's a, a car park in the A86 and it's been a bit of a nightmare in terms of people leaving litter in this area and it's a little car park stroke lay-by so you know people do chuck things out the window or they'll stop there and just empty their you know empty bottles and stuff there so there has been a sign put up um, and the sign does say please take your rubbish with you but then it then goes on to say I don't know who you are I don't know what you want if you're looking for a dustbin I can tell you that I don't have one but what I do have is a very particular set of skills (laughs) skills I have acquired over a very long career skills that make me a nightmare for people like you if you take your rubbish with you, that'll be the end of it. I will not look for you. I will not pursue you. But if you don't, I will look for you and I will find you. Smile. You're on CCTV. <laughs> so there you go. That's a nice little story. <laughs> <laughs> a little science put up in a car park. And that leads quite well onto our uh, topic in terms of CCTV. But, uh, but first, let's have a word from our sponsors. Spend a breakaway weekend at the Gateway to the Trossachs, the Rob Roy Motel. There's a dinner dance on Saturday night, bed, breakfast and Sunday lunch for only £23 per person. Or visit us during the week. There's a Scots night on Tuesdays, a Cayley on Wednesdays and a cabaret dance on Thursdays. Coach parties welcome. For further information, phone the Rob Roy Motel on Aberfoyle 245. So, uh, Greg, it was your choice this week. Uh, so what are we going to be talking about on the Swally today? Well, the last time we were on, you know, I mentioned that it's rare that one of us picks something that neither of us had seen. I didn't realise that you hadn't seen this when I picked it. But this week we're going to talk about the 2006 psychological thriller Red Road, um, directed by Andrea Arnold and uh, starring Kate Dickey, Tony Curran and Martin Comston uh, and Natalie Press. It tells a story of a CCTV security operator who observes through her monitors a man from her past. It is named after and partly set at the Red Road Flats, or that are no longer there, in uh, Balornock in Glasgow, Scotland. Um, I should point out that this is the 
third and final film in our unintentional Martin Compton trilogy. Uh, when I picked the film, I didn't realise until I was uh, talking about it on last, the last episode this while that Martin Compton was in it. So we're not like, uh, you know, it was not intentional. But he's done, we've done The Wee Man. The week before that, we did The Legend of Barney Thompson. And now we've got The Red Road. So we'll, we're, we're going to give me Martin a break for a few, for a few months. The movie uh, is actually the first film in a project called Advance Party, uh, in which uh, it's a projected trilogy following a set of rules dictating how the films will be written and directed. Uh, they, they, they were all to be filmed in Scotland using the same characters and cast for each film to be made by a different first-time director. So, as I mentioned, I hadn't seen this before. You hadn't seen it before. It's a movie that I'd always meant to get round to watching. I remember when it was released. I'm, I'm quite familiar with the Red Road Flats, uh, just not from ever being in them. I don't think I was ever in them, but I certainly passed them a lot when I was a kid and as an adult. But what about you? What, how, what did you think of this film? Yeah, well, I was to say, I hadn't seen it uh, at all, and it, I, I wasn't really aware. I don't remember it coming out, so I don't know how it passed me by, but it wasn't until quite a few years later I realised of its existence. And as you say, it's one of those films that I'd always thought, yeah, I need to watch that one day, because it does sound very interesting, it's got a good cast, and a good director. So it, it always been in my mind that I need to watch it, but for some reason, never had until now. I don't quite know where to start with this film. <laughs> and I don't mean that in a bad way. It's a very slow burning, tense, don't have a fucking clue what's going on type of film. Yeah. But it does have you captivated. I, I think the performances are fantastic and we will get round to speaking about that. It's a very much a, it, it's the kind of type of film I like because it is a very slow burning it keeps you thinking, it keeps you guessing. You have to pay an enormous amount of detail as to what's going on. And the way the storyline is given to you, it's very much drip-fed to you in in the smallest little details and very small clues that you have to kind of pick up. And genuinely, it's not until the last kind of 20 minutes that you actually discover what the entire film has been about, yeah, really. Yeah. And it, I really love the little hints and it, it does make you, because you are thinking about other things in terms of you're coming up with your own, ah, well, I know what's going to happen next, but, you know, and then completely doesn't. Yeah, really enjoyed this film and it was really, uh, I thought, a very, I don't know where I'm going with that. Like it was a, I thought it put across a very, very big concern, I think, about CCTV and, and people being able to watch you and, and being able to follow your every movement. Movement? Movement. But yeah, I, I I did. I can't deny I really enjoyed this film. It had me kind of gripped whilst I was watching it. Very uncomfortable to watch in places and very tense, but yeah, really enjoyed. Uh, what about yourself? I, I really enjoyed it. I mean, I had similar experience to you and I hadn't read much of the synopsis because before I saw it because I thought I, thought I knew what it was about. I thought it was going to be a bit like, funnily enough, you touched on it, you joked about it earlier, I thought it was going to be a little bit like Sliver, if I'm honest. Like a sim- like maybe a, si- mm. a similar sort of plot. I think probably, you know, I had this, this, like I said, the same sort of experience as you. At points I thought I knew, alright, now I am, now I know what, why she's following this guy. Now I know which, oh, 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 now I know why she's doing that, blah, blah, blah. And like you say, it's yeah. not until like the last sort of 10 or 15 minutes that it all becomes clear. But, you know, I, I got to the end of the film. It wasn't until I got to the very end of the film. And I think the, the ending, without spoiling it right now for anybody, is quite rewarding. It's, it's, it, the, the ending's mm. good. And it's one of these films that you don't realise how much you're enjoying it when you're watching it. But then when the credits roll, mm. you think, that was really good. You know, you saw, you know, because I think... 
yeah. you, you, you touched on it. It sort of demands that you pay a lot of attention, you know, and it's intriguing, you know, because Kate Dickey, she's in she's in every single scene. You know, they, it's her journey. The camera's with her mm. all the time. We, we, we never see these other characters in scenes without her. It's a bit like, um, you know, like 8 Mile uh, with Eminem. You know, he's, he's in every single scene, you know, all the way through the movie. <laughs> That's not a great comparison. Just compared this to Eight Mile. No, no, but just just the way that the story's told is not a great comparison, I suppose. You know, so it, you know that 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 job of monitoring. Um, I mean, what, what what do they call those cameras in the in the UK? Those CCTV cameras, like kind of public safety cameras or something like that. Um, I'm not sure. I. I thought it was just CCTV but maybe they do have a yeah, yeah maybe you say I'm not public sure. safety I, so I made a note uh, near the beginning of the film is um, is that a good job to have you know is it a good job is it you know they just you know, eight hours of just watching multiple screens and looking out for people in trouble or people breaking the law mm-hmm. and stuff I'm not sure um, I, d- I did notice that none of the screens had the time or date on them which kind of renders their recordings as evidence and absolutely useless <laughs> I think that was purposely left out of the film because it was probably too difficult to to put that into the edit yeah if you know what i mean in terms of the way so i i think that was purposely left off i agree i think it's a very valuable tool that you have and you do you know spend i don't know what the percentage is but probably at least 15 20 percent of the film if not more mm. is seen through the cctv cameras and it's a very powerful way of, of viewing because you are seeing exactly what jackie is seeing mm-hmm. in terms of this so i i think it's it's very well done in that manner and it, it's not something that you you don't get used to you know you, you quickly get used to the seeing this in the cctv yeah and uh, for your point you know do you is that a good job i think you can kind of see from the the offset that jackie almost has a relationship with some of the characters yeah. that she sees on a regular basis mm. so you've got the cleaning woman in the window and that was one of my first notes i'm like okay she's abusing her power a bit here should she be spying into windows you know we're looking at that but you see that she just she often looks at her at night and then of course there's the guy with the dog yeah which is is effectively you know, one of the first and last shots of the film really the dog and and she's obviously building up a relationship, not with him, but in her head. You know, she's she's checking up on him and seeing what he's doing and, and following along. And you wonder how many people like that she does have that she, she looks in on on a regular basis. Yeah. No, I think, and it, you know, it's a good way of establishing her, her character. You know, we, you know, like to your point, we see her. She obviously keeps an eye on these people and she has a kind of relationship. You know, we see her, she goes home to a, a, an empty house she lives by herself she's in that um in this sort of strange relationship with uh, Jamie from the office uh, not from the office from the thick of it I forget the actor's name but the she's having an affair with this married guy and it's a pretty it's not a bit it's not exactly a tender kind of relationship it's a kind of practical you know sort of sordid relationship really you know and, and then and you know then, and then when, she, when she sees Tony Curran's character and she she recognizes him on the camera it it sort of gives her this the like, overwhelming purpose you know where mm-hmm. you know there's a scene where she's she's so focused on what he's doing she misses um a girl getting stabbed at the bus stop you know, and and like, I think what her, her colleague says, oh, it's not like you to to miss something like mm. that. You know, and she's like, oh yeah, I was I was watching something else happening and everything. And I mean, I've I've seen Kate Dickey in quite a lot of things. I mean, I think the first thing I ever saw her in was I know you were a fan of this as well, uh, Tinseltown, um, mm. back in must have been the late nineties or maybe the early two thousands. Yeah, and you know, she she's been on the Swally before. She was in uh, Filth, but I've I've never mm-hmm. I've never seen her um sort of lead a movie like this. And you know, she's absolutely fantastic. It, it's, it's, it's a really yeah 
it's a really reserved um, performance. It's not until mm-hmm. towards the end when she confronts Tony Curran's character Clyde that this kind of steely determination and uh, almost ruthlessness sort of snaps, and she, you know, and this emotion starts to pour out of her and things. You know, she, she, she was. Uh, I think she got this a Scottish. She got the Scottish BAFTA. Um, yeah, uh, best actress in a Scottish film at the Scottish BAFTAs in two thousand and six, and it's well deserved. I mean, I, I feel that I don't know. I, I kind of get the feeling that not enough people have seen this movie because yeah. if they had, you would think that she would be. You would see it everywhere. You know, and I think it's the the performance, as you say, she delivers, and her character goes through. So many kind of transitions as you say in the beginning you can tell she's very dedicated to her job yeah. and, and very focused and exactly as you say her colleague says it's not like you you get the impression that that's basically what she lives for yeah and you do find out as time goes on she doesn't really have many friends she obviously hasn't spoken to her family as such for quite a while mm-hmm. and that's the way they drip feed the information to you you don't find out her name until she opens the wedding invitation Mm. and it's addressed to Jackie. Mm. It's never mentioned in terms of that. And when she goes to the wedding and instantly her sister-in-law says, oh, this is my sister-in-law. And you're like, sister-in-law? Wait, okay, right. So she must have been married to Mm. husband. So what's happened to him? There's obviously the the kind of animosity between her and her her father-in-law that you're kind of wondering what the hell's going on. You only find out that Clyde was in prison because of a newspaper headline that she digs out Mm -hmm. and you're not sure what's been going on. You only find out that she's linked to him with the the phone call from the solicitor so then you know well there must have been some sort of involvement she's obviously done something and he's obviously done something to her in in that way and then even when her father-in-law comes around towards the end of the film and and he just says oh well you know shortly after the you know Mm -hmm. and then tails off and you're you're left wondering what the hell is going on what is this big mystery but your grip and it's it's fascinating but then her character changes as you say with this steely determination that she's she's out to she says she has a purpose and she's she gives it her all and effectively mucks up her job and then yeah towards the end well the last you know, the end of the film which we'll come to discuss later it's a completely different composure yeah. of her character as well very powerful performance and and I thought she was great I mean to be fair I thought the whole cast yeah. was great as well the, and the thing is in the story there's there's a lot of going back to what you were saying you know earlier we're trying to work out what has happened between her and this guy uh, Clyde played by uh, Tony Curran there's a lot of there's loads of red herrings you know what I mean like there's mm. we find out that he's a bit of a shagger around the around the um the community um you know like the, the the scene when she kind of follows him into the cafe and the the waitress in the cafe is kind of chatting him up and all that sort of thing then we see her watching him outside the school so you think wait mm. so maybe maybe he's abused her when she was younger or something like that or maybe she's abused mm. uh like her daughter who's maybe committed suicide you know you, your brain starts going yeah. all these all yeah. these potential scenarios and then you know and as as Clyde's character develops you know, you see sort of some quite unpleasant elements of his character, and but also some quite reasonable elements of his character as well. Where he's, you know, it's uh, I get, you know, I guess we've, we've sort of we've sort of come on to Tony Curran uh, inadvertently there, but you know, I mean, this is this is like another like astonishing performance uh, from him. He's such a, such a good actor, totally believable as this mm. ex prisoner, bit of a wide boy trying to you know sort of make a few quid, sell you know enjoy being out of prison after. 
six years, you know, and he's obviously attracted to her, thinks that he recognises her. So you're thinking, well, if he has abused her, surely we'd recognise her. Or if he's abused her and he doesn't recognise her, then he's just the worst. How many people has he abused? You know, he must be a horrible guy. You know, but then, you know, then she seems to be receptive to some of his advances, especially, it's, well, obviously there's uh-huh. the scene near the end, which is pretty shocking. I, mean, I was, wasn't expecting that scene. <laughs> well, I'm sure we'll, we'll talk no. about it in a little while, but, um, you know, it's a really, really, really clever, clever script. Tony Curran, the, the, the way I could describe his performance is when he is with another character like Martin Comston's character or when he's in the cafe or something when he's walking around the kind of the neighbourhood he has got this kind of swagger of, of as you say a bit of a wide man mm-hmm. and, you know, when you see him on his own and she's following him on CCTV or when she's following him when he's going to Laundrette and then to the cafe and stuff and, and even when he's at the school and you see him on his own there he's got this kind of it's almost like a haunted kind of emptiness inside him like he's he has to give this big character bravado in front of the guys and in front of in the estate but when he's on his own he's he's just got this like missing kind of soullessness yeah. about and then when he's with um when he's with her and as you said towards kind of the end of the film and when he's in the bar with her you're kind of thinking he's a bit of a wide boy bit of a knob but when he gets her back to the flat his character kind of changes again and yeah. he, he kind of has this it's almost like you know he's attempting to recover himself mm. when she sees the photo of his daughter and the way he talks it's it's so you can tell he's he's trying to do good yeah. and he you know delivers a speech really towards the end saying it's it's so difficult mm. trying to go straight and trying to be mm-hmm. you know the good guy but you can tell he he really does genuinely want to to not go back to jail and he does genuinely want to try and build a relationship with the person he was you know going to see at the school um so yeah it's it's just a such a powerful performance from him as well as you say he's just a fantastic actor mm-hmm. and so believable and just watching those two together on screen yeah. it, was, it was just chemistry and it was so good yeah it was brilliant i mean this is the second tony curran movie we've done uh the last the last one being over a year ago i think we did caliber I mean, maybe about a year ago we did um, we did Calibre or Calibre. Um, I'm not sure how we're supposed to say it. I think it's Calibre. Oh, okay, there you go. I think I mean, before we before we got on to Martin Comston, you know, the 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 flats themselves are they are as important, I think, to the to the plot of the movie. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I don't know if you ever saw the Redwood Flats close up, but they quite an intimidating building because they're you know, very very tall. They you know they were they were built in 1968. Um, they were for that for a little while. They were the high highest residential buildings in Europe not for long uh, another but they built some in Birmingham which uh, which beat them they, they were demolished between 2012 and 2015 the last one being blown up to commemorate the opening of the Commonwealth Games in Glasgow <laughs> 2014 I mean geez, <laughs> only in Scotland you know they, I think a lot of these high flats and countries all over the world they were all over the UK rather they were built to combat kind of overcrowding in tenements and slums and things like that so probably when they were brand new they were they'd been quite really nice uh, a nice place to live mm. but like a lot of high flats everywhere you know sort of deteriorated over time didn't stand up to the elements all that well uh, and became uh, a bit rough and ready and it feels I mean like I say I don't know that I was ever in the red I can't I don't think so I'd have to ask my dad if where he ever knew anybody who lived in there maybe that but I don't think I ever was I was ter- I've certainly been in high flats in Glasgow before but not those ones but I think the, the movie feels like it's filmed entirely enti- all the interior shots are in the flats you know what I mean like I mean I could be wrong about mm. that I, I couldn't find any information that um, sort of confirms or otherwise but you know like the scene when Martin Comston's character and Kate Dickey and Natalie Press are having a drink and Martin Comston mm-hmm. opens the window to let them feel how windy it is you know, that, you know, that feels like it's been filmed in a 
in a redwood flat, you know. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I think yeah, probably. Yeah. I, I fell down a bit of a rabbit hole on the about the flats. I won't go on too much about them, but um, there was a game that they used to play. The, the, the kids used to play that you'll probably get a kick out of called um, Giant Headers, where somebody would drop a football from one of the flat windows, and people in Jesus. the grounds had to head it. <laughs> That's going to do you some damage, surely. Well, do I guess the it's, ball's coming down it's at that <laughs> speed from that height. Apparently, the, the lifts weren't big enough to get a coffin into, so undertakers would have to stand the coffin up with the departed person oh, wow. inside it. And apparently, on the really high, on the really high floors and near the top floors, some tenants said that when it was when they filled the bath, if it was windy, they could see the water sloshing about uh, because the wind would just blow right through the materials they were made from. So, but yeah, I mean, but it used to great effect. You know, and I think the the title of the movie Red Road sort of sits nicely with the kind of the sort of uh, enigmatic until the end sort of plot because you you go in thinking it's it's going to be about the flats and it's you know I think they are important to the plot but you know the the flats aren't a component of the plot. No, but I think it's it's very as you say it's pretty much one of the main characters really and it does convey. A huge sense of the the area um, in terms of you know it's it's run down there's graffiti everywhere with cast iron things that Tony Curran pumps the the waitress from mm-hmm. the cafe up against and it's it just looks dirty and not a very nice area even you know, the cafe and the the pubs that they go to it's it, it just all adds to getting across the the kind of lifestyle that these guys are are living mm-hmm. and you know as Martin Compson's character says you know I wish we always had money and they really are struggling, I guess, yeah. they're ex-cons. They're really yeah. trying to, to just scrape a living, really. Yeah, so it really does convey that emotion in terms of the setting and the area. And I think the audience does get a, an ideal picture of that. Yeah, um, I, I have to say that the, I, I had a bit of dog anxiety uh, a couple of times <sighs> in the movie. Like the first bit when we saw but near the beginning, when you see the guy looking in the shop window with his bulldog that, start, that starts to get a bit poorly towards... You know, mm-hmm. thankfully, you know, by the end of the film, he's got a new dog. We're not, we, we don't have to see the sad departure of his former dog. But then at the party, when Martin Comston gets the wee dog out of his um, jacket and it's running around and all that, and I'm like, oh no, someone's going to throw that dog out the window or something like that. I'm like, it's going <laughs> to. Yeah. But thankfully, no dogs were harmed, neither in the neither fictitiously or otherwise <laughs> in the making of the film. No, and that's the thing because you're kind of wondering, even as you say, as the film's starting, and you see the guy with the bulldog, mm-hmm. and Kate Dickey starts smiling, you get the idea she's obviously been watching them for a while, and you're wondering what's going to happen here. And then when he gets to the traffic lights and you see him with the other dog, mm-hmm. my instant thought was, are there a way to go and fight these dogs against each <laughs> yeah. other? And this is going to be like the first thing yeah. she sees. But thankfully, no, it was all friendly yeah. and you just find out that the dog is slightly unwell and that's where you get the the first instance of Kate Dickey's character following these these people that she's watching and, and getting an insight into their life. Yeah. But yeah, I was terrified for the little dog in the flat as well when they're feeding it dog food off the floor, off, off a manky kitchen floor. Can't be good. Did you notice like, the scene that you mentioned before when Tony Curran has sex with the waitress from the cafe behind the pub or whatever it was behind? Did you notice that she seemed mm. to be just finishing off like a battered fritter or something like that. <laughs> I did, yes. 
<laughs> As, uh, who says romance is dead? <laughs> eh? I mean, like that area around there, Balarnik. I know it a bit. Like, my cousin lives near there, but he lives in new houses. Uh, a bit further up towards Auchinairn and Bishop Briggs, but the pub where they go, the Broomfield Tavern, it's right beside a petrol station. Um, I've never been in it because it's a sort of pub when you see it from the outside, you would say, I'm fucking never going in there. But I've certainly, I've driven past it. It's on a big roundabout, um, so I've driven past it on my way to visit my cousin before. Um, but I have to say that the scenes in the pub were perhaps the least believable in the sense that the bartender had to be the friendliest bartender in Glasgow. He's pouring people pints. So you can enjoy, <laughs> enjoy your drink. Enjoy. <laughs> There's no way that that guy works in a Broomfield <laughs> Broomfield Tavern. He's only really nice to to Jackie though, isn't he? But when he does say, he does say, "Are you lost?" Yeah, he does. Which, again, as you say, you probably wouldn't be. You'd be like, the fuck you want? Um, <laughs> and I like the way she just asks her a white. Doesn't say white or red. Yeah. And then he just produces a little... Wee bottle of wine. Little miniature bottle of wine, because obviously they're not going to have house wine in the <laughs> in the Brewfield yeah. Tavern, are they? Blows the dust off a bottle of wine. <laughs> a little bottle of wine. There you go, doll. <laughs> well, like the, the guy that he's serving just before just before he serves Jackie, he said, when he passes the pints over, he says, right, enjoy. Um, and then he says to her, enjoy your drink. Uh, I was a bit kind of hmm. <laughs> suspending reality a bit there. I think. <laughs> um, did you notice that there are there are two instances in this movie where guys remove condoms and just throw them on the ground? Yes, that's true because there is obviously a significance in the first time you see the condom being removed and then put in the sort of door well yeah. and then being thrown outside. Uh, so yeah, I did think that's very, you know, they've lingered on that for a little bit. <laughs> yeah. You know, why? We obviously know they're having sex, so to remove that. But yes, of course, uh, later on, yeah, it's just, yeah, taken off and just thrown kind of on the, the table at the side or <laughs> yeah. Yeah, on the ground. <laughs> table. So, yes, that's lovely. So I did wonder, but now you think about it, there there is a significance to seeing that first shot later on in the film as well. Yeah. So, yeah, very good. I mean, those, those whole scenes with, with uh, Paul Avery, do you know what I mean? Basically, picks it up from a, from a work goes right in and picks her up from her work drives her up to wherever campsy or somewhere like that in a field lets his dog out for a run while he has sex and then just flings the condom down shouts the dog in and drives her back <laughs> and then you get the impression this is obviously a regular occurrence because he does say he'll see you in two weeks then so every fortnight they're meeting up for a little bit of Rita Sue and Bob too, kind of, you know, the two of them in the in a field. And just, yeah, but you get the impression again, that's the, because Jackie doesn't really look like she's enjoying yeah. herself in, in these moments. So you kind of get the feeling she's just doing this every fortnight for routine or yeah, just maybe just to have some sort of feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, there's definitely no romantic element. You don't think, you don't get the impression that they're, no. she doesn't think it's going anywhere. Yeah. It's, it's almost like it's just something to do every fortnight well he says to her doesn't he he's like oh sorry that that was a bit fast did you uh she was like yeah yeah earlier <laughs> and he's like all right like, i'm not sure she did <laughs> and again just the performance that you just don't know what you know, again that the character doesn't give much away and you're you're wondering what is this woman about what is what is going on yeah wonderful bit of, of acting there i think yeah um and how weird is it to see i mean i, I didn't realize this film was as old as it is I mean, it might, if it was released in 2006 there's a good chance it was released in 2005 but how strange is it to see people smoking indoors in the pub in Scotland 
Yeah, the pub wasn't even the one that threw me off. It was the cafe. Yeah, yeah. Had me kind of startled that he finishes his, his food and then, yeah, sparks up. sparks up a fag reading the paper. That was the one that got me of like, oh, wow. Oh, yeah, of course. But yeah, I never thought about it in the pub. But you're right. Of course, they do have a, yeah, a couple of cigarettes. But it, it was very strange. It was the cafe scene that actually made me go back and check what the year was that it came out, you know. Uh, what do you think of Clyde's uh, chat up patter? Yeah, not great. I, I wasn't going <laughs> to mention that and I, I'm not going to include the clip of that either no, no. but yeah his, his chat up line well the the first time obviously he he just does say to her do I know you mm-hmm. and it's, it's have we met yeah when they're they're at the party and that's the thing because obviously she's seen him on CCTV mm-hmm. she's gone to the flat she started following him Again, because the film's unraveling, you are thinking she's hiding because he's going to recognise her. But then she just goes into the cafe and he looks right at her. And that's when I think the audience get to know at the same time Jackie does. He doesn't recognise me. And that's when you're thinking, okay, so have they met before? Mm -hmm. How does she know him? What's what's the deal here? And then, of course, she brazenly just goes up to the party later on. Yeah. Um, Yeah, it's chat up lines in the pub to answer your question yeah they're, they're not very nice I, I think it's uh rather vulgar i would say yeah for sure not not very smooth <laughs> we haven't not really spoken about martin comston at first i wasn't sure how big a part he was going to have as uh wee stevie mm. you know i guess quite an early role for him it's only like two or three years after maybe three or four years after sweet 16 um he's obviously mm-hmm. must be probably in his early 20s by this point you know i don't think it's a massive it was a massive stretch for him although he is he is good in the movie especially later on Mm. You know the scene that he's got with uh, with Jackie, with Kate Dickey as Jackie after um, after she's um, she staged the rape and got Clyde arrested is really good. You know what I mean? Like, you forget that yeah, he's good at playing a menacing wee Ned. <laughs> you know what I mean? He really is. Yeah, I think again the way his character kind of goes. You, you see him initially you are just thinking he's just this wide little Ned yeah. and even at the party you're a bit kind of worried when Jackie forces her way into the lift mm-hmm. and then you can see that he's he's actually okay mm-hmm. he's he's all right and at the party he's fine then at the scene where where Jackie goes back with a bottle of whiskey and the three of them are sitting there there is a little uncomfortable he's he's nice yeah. he's, he's fine until the window incident and then you can kind of see a little twist of him that he's a little bit you know the atmosphere's gone yeah the the pivotal scene for me is the the fight in the pub yeah. with his dad and the emotion that he delivers in the car park mm-hmm. it is believable that it's taking Clyde that long to calm him down yeah. and to get him kind of sorted and again I think it's extremely believable when they go back to the flat and he's basically in his bed like on the sofa trying to, to kind of calm himself down and I think after such a huge outburst of emotion in that way you are going to be drained mm. and you are going to be just wanting to go and kind of curl up and, and lie down like that yeah. and again as you say after the kind of revelation that Jackie has, has fitted Clyde up for, for rape then his performance there with the two of them is very believable and you you do see again that's again they're just kind of dripping the backstory then you find out you know how they know each other mm-hmm. what they've been into and then that's when you find out the revelation of why she's doing this to come on to the the scene where she's staging the rape like so you know after the sex mm-hmm. and she, there she's in the bathroom i wasn't quite prepared for for how gra- for how graphic that was you know like sort of you know kind of smearing sperm over her hands and you know what i mean and then and then she doesn't yeah she doesn't even run her hands under the tap when she's 
finished, she just wipes it on the nearest towel. <laughs> I had been wondering because you see it when she's following him through the uh, to the cafe, or, or initially the laundrette, then the cafe. She picks up a bit of broken glass and puts it in her pocket, mm-hmm. and that's when you're thinking: is the intention she's going to go and do him? She's going to attack him. Yeah. That's what I thought. Is, yeah. is it? To protect himself. Then when she picks up the rock before she goes into the pub, you're you're thinking, well, my first thought is, well, she's very handy at finding little useful objects mm-hmm. scattered around the place to use as weapons. But again, that's then I'm thinking, okay, she's going to seduce him and then smash his head in with a stone. Yeah. Fine. Okay. Neither of those things happen. I, I was very shocked. I mean, okay, first of all, we have uh, an extremely graphic sex scene, yeah. which I think I was very surprised at how graphic this scene was and I did read a little bit of pushback online of people there was no need to have that level of nudity and performance in the in the sex scene but I think you actually did need it because of what happens next yeah and you need to to see that and literally as soon as the words come out of Clyde's mouth when when she says to him uh what if I say no Mm -hmm. and he says well I might just have to to force myself that's instantly I'm thinking okay so she's gonna say that he's raped her yeah and and of course you say when she grabs the condom you're instantly like oh my god she's she's actually gonna do this as you say when she goes into the bathroom yes I was quite surprised at the the graphic depiction of her mm-hmm. taking the contents and forcing it up yeah. and around um but yeah i guess that's the evidence because the that was my thought well he's when i'd worked out what she was going to be doing in terms of the rape i thought well he's putting a condom on so she's not going to have any you know kind of thing and and that's when you're seeing her biting him during yeah. the sex you're thinking oh god so that's you know going to use that as evidence so yeah the graphic depiction of that and then the graphic depiction of her just smacking herself in the face with a rock yeah which wasn't as bad as what came after it you know <laughs> or before I can't remember if she hit herself in the face before mm. or after yeah so they we find out that the reason that she wants him to go back to jail was because she he um, crashed his car into a bus stop where her, her husband and daughter were waiting for the bus and they were both killed because he was intoxicated I think she, I think you know he was sentenced to ten years. He only did six, and she she wants him to go back to prison. Basically, uh, we find out the reason that he didn't recognise her was because he couldn't look at her in court because he, because he was so ashamed of what he'd done. You know, which again speaks to you know I think the, the sort of layers of uh, Tony Curran's performance as a character. You know, he is actually he is remorseful. He's not callous. He's not like a bad. He's not an entirely bad guy. You know, he's just made some some terrible decisions that have uh, you know that have landed him in prison and landed him in, in uh, trouble with uh, Kate with Kate Dickey's character and I think that's where the it kind of switches for me when before she goes into the bathroom to Mm-hmm. to do the what she does you know, they have sex and then she says she's got to leave yeah. and that's where you instantly I, well I did I started to feel sorry for Clyde mm. because of the way he, he wants her to stay yeah. and he's like did I do something wrong you know and then he gets kind of not angry but you know, frustrated he, he does yeah. say yeah mm. frustrated but he doesn't that's where you kind of realise that okay he's not a bad character as mm-hmm. such because he doesn't try and force her to stay he doesn't try to he just as you say gets frustrated and that's when he's like well fuck off then yeah. and that was the, yeah, the instance I started to feel sorry for him I didn't hurt you did I got go home he's got to go home it's the middle of the night there's no nice room here I can't even let him go can't stop me either I'm not quite sure I know what's going on What, are you married or something? I am. At least let me call you a cab. I've got a number, that's fine. 
Was it just the shag you wanted then? Aye. I guess so. Well, go on, fuck off then. See if I fucking care. Then, as you say, when you find out what he did, and that speech that he delivers to her at the end, when they're they're standing by the bus stop, and he says, you know, he was on crack mm-hmm. and he'd he lost control of the car. Where, and I think it's the only kind of bit of the film I don't find fully believable, is after the rape. Well, after her fitting him up for rape, she goes back to work, obviously very quickly, and she gets the CCTV tape because we find out she likes to take the t- tapes home mm-hmm. for for some stuff like this. You know, that she treats it a bit like blockbuster. <laughs> that that tape and it's the tape of her running away from the flats yeah. first of all that tape wouldn't be in the, the cupboard that's evidence in an ongoing rape case <laughs> so that's going to be with the police the second thing is it's very convenient that his daughter decided to come to the flat mm-hmm. just after this had happened yeah. that was the only part of the film that I thought was a little bit of a stretch mm-hmm. and I realised that it was seeing the daughter there that effectively leads her to drop the charges yeah. because she realises that the daughter wants to to get to know Clyde and therefore Clyde would no, he's not going to do it if he's in prison mm-hmm. that was the only part I felt was a little bit stretched and felt out with my believability kind of realms yeah I guess you know I suppose it's, it's kind of plot device isn't it but can I keep it tidy I, I mean the thing is like with these sort of independent like, you know I, I sort, I'm sort of loath to use the phrase kind of arty movies you know some sometimes the endings can be quite a and I was, you know, the oh. the scene on the on the street at the end when she is trying when she confronts him to talk to him about what happened, it was just disgust, and he he sort of runs off and gets in the bus. And I thought, right, this is oh. where the film will end, and it will just be her in her anguish. And then he got off the bus. And I was like, oh. And then you know, there's a kind of not reconciliation, but a kind of there's a moment between the two of them. You know, yeah. she's you know like, whatever the moment is, it's gonna put her in a better place than she was before. And I thought, right. Well, that will be the end of the film now. But then they have that last scene where she goes to her in-laws and mm. she says, you know, I think we should take his ashes up to Loch Lomond. I think that's where he'd like to be. And the relief for um, his her mother and father-in-law, you know, and then we see her on, uh, it's actually Saracen Cross, uh, the street at the very end of the film. It's where my, my, my granny used to live near there. I recognised it straight away. Um, anyway, and she's, you know, they, they sort of sign off with, she's in a much better place, you know. She says hi to the guy mm. with his new dog. She looks, at, you know, again, just a testament to Kate Dickey's performance. You know, they the all the way through the beginning of the film and throughout the her plotting against Clyde, she looks like she's carrying a weight. And then her body language in that last scene, she looks a lot more. She looks almost happy and relaxed. And you know what I mean? It's uh, I, I I was quite pleased because you don't often get like a sort of a sort of low profile movie like this ending. So you know, especially with a plot like this with such an upbeat ending. <laughs> you know, I, th- I think it's yeah, the, being able to confront him. Yeah, and getting his explanation of events and maybe seeing the, the sorrow that he feels mm-hmm. although he is a bit in his speech he's a bit like what do you want me to do yeah you know, it's, like, it's, it's almost like it's done it's shit happens every day doesn't it yeah that maybe a little bit you know use your words maybe slightly better yeah. there what do you want I'm sorry what can I say it's not alright But shit happens every day, that's life. My husband's name is John. My little girl's name is Sorcha. But 
it is almost a relief for her. And, and as you say, when he, she goes to see the in-laws and discover... Because obviously, previously, we've seen her cuddling up in bed with these two urns. Mm-hmm. So that's when you're thinking, okay, so right. Um, so for her to, to be able to put them to peace at Loch Lomond... Mm-hmm. Got and as you say, when when she's she's walking down the street, it's it's yeah, she's completely different. She's upbeat, and I think seeing the guy with the new dog, it's almost a metaphor for like it's it's new beginnings. Yeah, yeah. It's a you know, it's it's new life. It's it's a new start. Yeah. And and I wonder if that ties in with the beginning because when you see the dog getting carried away, just around about the time she sees Clyde, isn't it for? Maybe the first time? I think it's a little later. I think it's before she starts her um you know, she starts to carry out her plan. I think that's I think that's mm. when we see that's when we see the dog being sort of carried out and put in the back car. Um and that's 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 a good that's, that's a good observation actually. I hadn't really I hadn't really I hadn't really realised the, the importance of the dog. Well, I wonder if if that is the you know the the dog is sick yeah. in the, the scenes we're seeing, and that it's almost a metaphor for her life yeah. of she's going through misery. Really. Yeah. Then it's like when the dog dies, that's almost when she starts her kind of revenge mission, mm-hmm. and she's got purpose again. Then yeah. once it's done, yeah, and then it's kind of a new beginning mm-hmm. with a, a new dog. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe I'm looking too much into no, that. I don't but... think so. I think that's, that's a good observation. Did, did you notice? Um, uh, I think early on when we see the guy with the dog outside the shop, and there's one of those you know those sort of Billboards that they have outside newsagents with that day's headline. There was a headline yes. that said Dumbarton Man in Black Pudding Scare. Fascinated to know well, what was going on there. <laughs> well, that's my archetypal Scottish moment ruined. Oh, sorry. Um, yeah, that was exactly. <laughs> it's fine. That's exactly what I put down because I, I made a note of that because I found it was so hilarious. And I thought that'll be the kind of story we would cover on the Swally. Yeah. I'd be desperate to know what that was, what the Black Pudding Scare was. Yeah. No, but I, as you say, I found the ending very satisfying. Yeah. Because it, you kind of felt upbeat and it, genuinely, because you just spent the previous hour and 46 minutes in this woman's misery and wondering what the fuck was going on. And you really cared for her as well. When she's at that party and she's kind of snooping around the flat, you're genuinely terrified for her. And you are genuinely thinking, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. You're This isn't sensible. Yeah. So you're really tied in with her emotions and you're very tied in with the performance. So to see her smiling and happy at the end of the film makes you happy and you're so pleased for her and you just want to be right that's it just go on get on with your life the other thing that I enjoyed at the ending was that cover of Love Will Tear Us Apart and I was trying to find out mm. did you happen to find out who former is doing it uh, I did it's Honey Root it was a an ambient dance collaboration uh, it was Glenn Gregory from Heaven 17 right okay yeah it's a good it's a nice version of it yeah it was very good kind of fitting song to end the cover on yeah the cover uh, the film Probably. on as well yeah. so shall we put Red Road through sorry for uh, stealing your thunder on your archetypal Scottish moment um, but shall we put Red Road through the Swally Awards yeah why not let's run it through our awards and see what we can do so yeah what have we got first since we've done your archetypal Scottish moment I guess we'll do mine I had two for archetypal Scottish moment I had when we were in the party at Clyde's flat and they all start singing here we fucking go along <laughs> with the dance song there's something very Scottish about that but 
But the one that I picked, which I think is probably even more Scottish, is the sleeveless parka jacket that um, that Natalie Press's character April was wearing when her and Stevie arrive at the party. So <laughs> Stevie's got his warm jacket and everything on with a dog up his duke, and uh, April's got a sleeveless, and she's got bare arms underneath her sleeveless uh, parka. I thought there's something quite Scottish about that. So you think that's very Scottish and very yeah. hard, kind of not having a warm jacket on on a cold winter's evening. Yeah, I was surprised when we discovered that um, that she was English when she starts talking to when, mm. when she tips the dog food onto the floor of Clyde's flat yeah. for the wee dog and has a chat with uh, has a chat with Jackie. I mean, that's a, a very uncomfortable scene as well when the two of them are in the kitchen. It's again, you're you're kind of hooked, but mm. you you feel the awkwardness in that yeah. performance and you're really kind of like oh god what's going to happen here yeah uh, yeah wonderful yeah uh, we can take that I, I think that can maybe trump my black pudding scare okay so the Jake McQuillan your tease oot award what did you have for that the only thing really is the the fight in the pub yeah. between Stevie and his dad that and it's a fair old fight but mm-hmm. th- th- there's not really a huge amount in the film the, the only other thing really is when Stevie kind of attacks Jackie but yeah. you know what I mean when he threatens her kind of is there yeah. in her bedroom but that's the only part I, I would have to give it to the fight in the pub yeah, that's why I had I had Compo's dad. I, I've, I've written Compo's dad because it's my new nickname for Martin Compton. Um, Com- <laughs> we Compo. All right, the, I mean, no shortage of options here. Uh, the Francis Begbie Award for Gratuitous Swearing. What did you go for? I had the moment when Jackie goes to help uh, we Compo's dad up and he spits, fuck off, you cow, at her. And she shouts back at him, ah, you fuck off. <laughs> I, like those, I like those moments. Oh, okay. <laughs> Would you have? I went with Compo and one of his his lines. Right. I, I'm not going to start calling him Compo. I'll <laughs> let you have that as your little pet name for him. It's when he's in the lift with with uh, with Jackie and his girlfriend, and he asks, uh, "Do you know Clyde?" And Jackie says, "Yes," and and she he kind of smiles and he says, uh, "I I what man, what woman round here doesn't? He's a right dirty cunt." <laughs> yeah. You going to the party? Yeah. Invite you. I know Clyde. What woman around here doesn't he's a dirty cunt? <laughs> I just thought, nice. either that or when he describes Clyde as uh, he's not bad for a ginger cunt. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was the uh, the two kind of uh, deliveries that I, I found the funniest and I quite liked the best. Uh, this episode of The Culture Swally brought to you by the letter C. <laughs> um, <laughs> only, only really one option for this one, uh, but the Ewan McGregor Award for Gratuitous Nudity. Well, yeah, it's got to be Kate, Kate Dickey, Kate. no more said. Yeah. Um, this one's an interesting one. The James Cosmo Award mm. for being in everything Scottish. <laughs> it's a kind of a toss-up between Wee Compo and uh, and Tony Curran, I suppose. Maybe even Kate Dickey. I would say so. I, I had it between Dickey and Curran, purely because I didn't want to give it to Compton, because he has been a lot, yeah. but I think we've given it to him recently. Yeah. Dickey and Curran, I did have a look. They've got very interesting in terms of their career. Curran was in a lot of Scottish stuff, but then he did seem to kind of move off, mm-hmm. and he was in a lot of American things for quite a period of time. Mm-hmm. But then he does seem to have come back a little bit and, and, and has been doing more Scottish things yeah. as he's gotten in his advancing years. Whereas Kate Dickey, again, seems to have been in quite a few Scottish things, and then she'll go away and do something quite big. 
Yeah. And then she'll come back and do some Scottish things. So she, it's almost like she never forgets her roots. So she does seem to, you know, things like she must have been like doing like Game of Thrones or something, but then she'll come back yeah. and do filth. Or it, she does kind of seem to be fleeting about and is in quite a lot. So I was actually really torn between Dickie and Curran. Yeah. Sounds like a comedy double act. <laughs> Dickie and Curran, yeah. Yeah, I'm just looking at her. So she's in. You and I were catching up with our friend on um, Saturday night. He mentioned a movie called The Green Knight that he's just watched on mm. Amazon Prime. She's in that. It's quite a recent mm. movie. Um, she was also in his favourite um, Star Wars movie, uh, The Last Jedi. You know, He's spoken a lot about how much he enjoyed it. It was quite surprising because I didn't go down all that well with Star Wars fans, but he said he really liked it. Um, she, was, she was in uh, Prometheus, the Ridley Scott sort of... Mm alien prequel was it a prequel was it not a prequel it's uh, no one's sure so she she does go and make you know large films but then she does come back and do scottish things yeah yeah i mean the thing is like like scottish i mean i don't think it's necessarily just because we are scottish but i think um you know there's not like a endless release schedule of scottish movies you know what i mean i I wouldn't go as far to say they're few and far between but they don't come out regularly so you know i think more i think the sort of hit rate in terms when i say the hit rate i mean like the different like a good film you know there's certainly a lot more good movies than there are bad you know and I think it's it's an interesting place to make a film because there's you know Scotland has a lot of unique uh, qualities about it that you know I was listening to the rewatchables um, today they've done train spotting which I was really surprised to see uh, the rewatchables being an American podcast and to hear them talking about a, a sort of fascination that developed in them when they were younger about Scotland and Scottish culture and the way they see us you know and it was all kind of I don't know I was I felt quite proud the way they were talking about us and stuff you know you know so I, I think you know I think a lot of these Scottish even you know it's been a while since he's done it but you know even you McGregor arguably was almost at the height of his fame when he came back and filmed Young Adam with uh, Peter Mullen and uh, Tilda Swinton which is set which is set in Scotland to set in the Glasgow on the Clyde Canal you know so uh, yeah I, th- I think there's certainly precedent there. oh, yeah but you'll see actors coming back all the time as you say, like Brian Cox or Peter Mullen. Yeah, they're Brian Cox. Yeah. They will make big Hollywood films yeah. or TV, but then they will come back and do a Scottish film yeah. in Scotland yeah. or a, a sitcom about a burger tycoon. <laughs> Who's not a punter. Yeah. Okay, so the last one then is our uh, Sean Connery Award for who won the movie. I, f- I feel this might be polarising. Oh, really? Why? Are you going to give it to the Red Road Flats? No, no, I was going to give it to Kate Dickey, just for all the reasons I've sort of mentioned, I've kind of mentioned perhaps ad nauseum earlier in the podcast. You know, I just think it, I mean, I think, I think Tony Curran is fantastic in it as well, but I don't know, I think just in terms of, you know, just her whole performance, like I mentioned earlier, body language, everything, you know, I think she's just, I think she's obviously just sort of given herself completely to it, and I think it really pays off. Um, I thought she was brilliant. Yeah, completely. You know, Kate Dickey. Yeah, you, you agree. Without a doubt. No question. Performance is phenomenal. You you genuinely feel the tension. Mm-hmm. You genuinely feel the nerves of when she's she's following him yeah. and when she's I say that it's the scenes in the party as well. You are really on the edge of your seat, wondering what is going to be happening with her, and you can feel the tension within her as well. Mm-hmm. And even the the later scenes, you, you can just feel the the emotion. And I say to be able to convey the the fact that at the end of the film, you're feeling happy that she's happier. Yeah. it's a it's a wonderful performance from from Kate Dickey. So no, for me completely, she wins the film. All right. Well, if you want to uh, watch Red Road, uh, you can find it on iTunes and possibly even Netflix, depending on where you live in the world. Um, so, I mean, if you haven't seen it, we've maybe ruined it for you. Now you should have stopped watching when you should have stopped listening when Nikki told you to earlier in the podcast. Um, 
but if you want to go back and watch it again then you can find it in all these places so it is your turn it's going to be a wee compo uh, quadruple no Martin Comston is not going to be on the swally anytime soon I don't think <laughs> uh, who knows you know, I, I don't know we'll see if he, if he crops up in something that we're covering uh, no uh, the next episode that we record when it releases it's going to be released the, the week before Halloween so we've only really done one horror film so far on this wally being The Wicker Man so I thought it was time that we should probably do something else to get everyone into the spirit of Halloween. Yeah. So I would like to join Sean Pertwee and Kevin McKidd and have a look at the 2002 film Dog Soldiers. Brilliant. Oh yeah, brilliant. That's good. good show. I, I, I haven't seen that since it came out, so it'll almost be like watching it for the first time. <laughs> I'm exactly the same. I watched it when it came out on DVD and I haven't watched it since. So it is going to be very interesting to see what it's like because I've forgotten all about it. (laughs) Cool. Fantastic. Well, uh, okay. Well, thank you very much, everyone, for listening to this, Wally. Uh, If you would like to get in touch with us on anything, uh, any reason, you can follow us on Instagram at CultureSwallyPod, or you can follow us on Twitter at SwallyPod. Or if you have seen anything in the news that you'd like us to discuss, or if there is anything you would like us to cover, or if you have any feedback or anything, then you can drop us an email on cultureswally at gmail.com. And please feel free to leave us a rating or a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It really does help grow the pod. And Greg, we have a website as well. We do have a website. You can find us at cultureswallyblog.com where you can find links to other episodes, uh, links to some of our favourite news stories and uh, other bits and bobs that you might find interesting. So come and check us out. Fantastic. Right, let's go off into the woods and get our dog soldiers on. (laughs) All right, until next time. Until next time, Greg.